at the end of chapter 18, Antonius spots Tellus crossing the street across from their school. What in the world is millionaire party man ex-counsel Tellus doing on their simple street? Where is he going? Who is he going to see? We're about to find out. Chapter 19, The Bakery Where? The others cried and were making a dash for the window when Antonius warned them back. Keep down so that Tellus won't see you. They ducked down to the floor, crawled to the window, and then peered cautiously over the sill. Xantippus, too, hugging the wall, had made his way over to the window. Where do you see him? he asked. Over there, Antonius whispered. On the other side of the street, a short, fat man was walking rapidly in the direction of the forum. He was wearing a cloak with a hood, which he had drawn over his head. How do you know he is Tellus? Musius asked in a low voice. I recognized him right away, Antonius said. His hood blew off for a moment, and I saw his bald head and the scar. I'll swear it's him. He glanced over here, too, but he didn't see me. Probably he is going to visit Lucos, Xantippus murmured. But Tellus walked past Lucos's house and stopped three houses further down the street in front of the bakery. He turned around, took a long look at the Xanthos school, and then vanished inside the baker's shop. He's gone to buy some rolls, Flavius exclaimed in amazement. Xantippus hobbled to his bed, sat down on it, and began rubbing his leg. In straightening up from the floor, he had moved too quickly and had hurt himself again. The boys gathered around in concern, but the pain seemed to ease up. Then their teacher gave them his verdict. A millionaire does not go out to buy himself rolls, he said. In fact, he hardly goes anywhere without his slaves and hangers-on. All this is very suspicious. Perhaps Tellus has discovered the disappearance of the cloak and chain and is going to confer with somebody there. Meeting the red wolf, Antonius exclaimed. Xantippus shrugged. Whoever it is, it would be interesting to find out what he is doing there. I'll run over and look, Musius suggested. No, Xantippus said. It would be dangerous for you to go alone. A cornered criminal will stop at nothing. It is better for you all to go together. When there are six of you, you are much safer. But stick together all the time and be careful. If you are threatened, get out. I don't want any foolish heroism. Musius, Antonius, Caius, and Julius ran off wild with enthusiasm. Publius followed them with a mocking expression. He thought nothing would come of this whole undertaking. As usual, Flavius brought up the rear. The cloudburst had turned the roadway into a rushing stream. The boys hopped across by way of the raised blocks of stone, which were placed in the roadway at regular intervals, making a bridge from one sidewalk to the other for the use of pedestrians during such storms as this. They raced down the sidewalk and charged into the bakery like Persians into the pass of Thermopylae. The baker, who was busy kneading some dough in a trowel beside his oven, looked up in astonishment. Hey, have you kids gone crazy? He asked good-naturedly. Are you planning to conquer Carthage for the second time or is school out? He knew the boys well, for they were good customers of his. They always came around during breakfast recess and brought piles of rolls and stacks of cookies. Tellus was nowhere in sight. The boys went all over the shop looking for him, while the baker watched them in wonder. Whatever became of that short, fat man who was in here a while ago, the one in the hooded cloak? The baker laughed. Oh, him, he replied, pointing to the door in the back of the shop. He just went out through there. Why? What is he doing there? 
Julius and Musius burst out. He's a queer bird, he is, the baker said. He pulled the dough free from his arms and hands and tossed it back into the trough and began kneading it again. He comes through here three or four times a week, comes in the front door and goes out the back. Why? the boys chorused. The baker shrugged. Jupiter knows, he said indifferently. And that's all you know about him? Musius pressed. Absolutely, the baker assured him. I don't ask him any questions. What I do care anyway. He pays me a hundred sesterces a month for the right to go through. I bet if he counted up his money, he'd have more than all the rolls I ever baked in all my life. Once I made a mistake and asked him, Hey, you in the hood, where in the world do you go to? And do you know what he did? He up and drew a sword from under his cloak, glared at me like the hellhound Cerberus and said, If you value your life, don't think about it. Since then, I haven't thought about it. I do value my life, even though I have to wear myself out to earn a living. I have a family to support, and a hundred sesterces a month isn't chicken feed. The boy stared at the back door. When does he come back? Julius asked. Back, the baker repeated. By Pluto, he never comes back. He comes in at the front, goes out at the rear, but never returns. Musius went slowly toward the back door. Where does this lead to? he asked. Nowhere, the baker replied. That's the end of the store. There must be something, Musius said, pushing the door open slightly. You'd better not stick your head out, the baker called to him. The first thing you know, he'll chop it off with this sword of his. But Musius showed no sign of fear. He opened the door further, leaned forward, and looked out to both sides. The others came up behind him and squeezed into the doorway, trying to see also. Before them in the gray twilight lay a bare courtyard. About ten or twelve yards away rose a high wall. Beyond that must be the field of Mars, for the top of the wall they could see the crowns of cypress trees swaying in the wind. On their right, the wall of the next building projected, so that they could not see where the yard ended. We ought to have a look around that corner at any rate, Musius said. No harm in that, Julius murmured. Come on, Musius said. They pulled their togas up to cover their heads and stepped out into the rain. Peering around the projected wall, they saw that the yard extended as far as a high, massive building that stood at an angle to the other houses. There was no one in sight, and the boys boldly pressed forward. They stayed close to the walls of the buildings, paying no attention to the deep puddles. Where could Tellus have vanished to? The low houses adjoining the bakery had neither doors nor windows in the rear. Tellus could not have entered any of them. But when they came to a tower-like building made of heavy square stones, reaching high up above the one- and two-story shops, the boys realized at once that this was Lucos's house. To the left of it was the massive edifice of the Baths of Diana, the only other building around here of the same height. Between the two buildings yawned a narrow, dark gully. From Lucos's house, a rectangular spot of light fell across the space and upon the wall of the Baths of Diana. There's a door open in Lucos's house, Julius said softly. Wait, Antonius whispered, and he crawled forward on hands and knees as far as the edge of the splash of light. Then he flattened out on his belly and squinted over the threshold. He withdrew his head hastily and crawled backwards to them. Tellus is in there, he reported. What is he doing? Musius asked. Nothing. Where is Lucos? 
Flavius asked anxiously. I didn't see him, Antonius replied. What was the next step? If the boys crossed in front of the door, Tellus would certainly see them. They stared indecisively into the dark gully, not daring to go forward and unwilling to go back. Then they noticed several thin rays of light in the wall about halfway between their observation post and the door. Musius crept over to this light. Then he beckoned the others to follow him, but he held a warning finger to his mouth. The light came from a window over which heavy boards had been nailed. There were cracks between the boards, and the boys pressed their faces against the wet wood and peered through. The window was also protected with iron bars, but they could see directly into the big vaulted room in which they had been received by Lucos himself. It was darker than it had been the last they saw it, for there was no fire in the fireplace, and the horrible masks in the pillars were not lit up yet. A dim lantern was burning on the table at which Lucos had sat. The ceiling and the distant corners of the room were shrouded in dense shadows. On the table, the boys spotted the basket of snakes, but it was covered with a cloth. Next to it lay a short sword with a wide blade. Tellus was sitting on a hassock and wiping the rain from his face. His cloak lay on the floor beside him. He seemed to be waiting for something, for now, and then tilted his head to one side and listened attentively. He's waiting for Lucos, Flavius breathed. But suddenly Tellus jumped up, crossed the vaulted room rapidly, and vanished behind a curtain, which hung across a niche in one wall. There's another room, Caius said. Lucos is probably in there, Musius declared. Or the Red Wolf, Antonius said. If only we could hear what they are saying, Musius said impatiently. But Tellus and Lucos remained behind the curtain. The boys could hear someone talking, but could not make out the words. I'll sneak over to the door and listen, Musius said. I'm coming too, Caius volunteered. So am I, Antonius said. Santippus told us to keep together, Flavius complained. All right then, Musius said. We'll all go. Take off your sandals. If we make the slightest noise, we're done for. Stick close behind me. If I call, watch out. We all make a dash for it. Through the bakery, remember? They slipped off their sandals, made a small heap of them next to the wall, and stole up to the door. For a while, they stared into the vaulted room. It remained empty, and Musius led the way across the threshold. He walked on tiptoe, placing one foot ahead of the other very slowly, balancing himself with his arms. Every so often, he paused and stood motionless, listening. The others followed his example. At last they reached the curtain and remained standing in front of it, holding their breath. From behind it they could hear a mysterious, tinkling, metallic sound and a hoarse voice murmuring, One hundred, two hundred, three hundred. Musius moved the curtain aside ever so slightly and found himself looking into a cellar-like chamber. The windowless stone walls glistened with dampness. On a small table stood a flickering candle that had almost burned down. Tellus was nowhere to be seen, but Luco sat with his back to the curtain. Musius recognized him at once by his long, dirty yellow hair and the black cloak with silver stars sewn on it. The soothsayer was busy counting heaps of gold pieces which were stacked up on the table. As he finished with each stack, he pushed it into a bag. He was completely absorbed in what he was doing and went on murmuring, 400, 
500, 600. But suddenly he stopped and whirled around toward the curtain. His face was not painted black and white this time. Instead, he wore a clay mask tied over his face, the kind worn by actors on stage. For a while, he stared fixedly at the curtain. Then he jumped to his feet. Frightened, Musius let go of the curtain. Watch out, let's run, he whispered sharply. Flavius was the first to move. He shot toward the door as if he had been catapulted, but he tripped over a tight string stretched across the floor and fell forward on his face. Immediately, the back door banged shut. The boys threw themselves against it in despair, tugging and pulling, but in vain. Don't bother, a hoarse voice said. You won't get it open. Lucos had drawn the curtain aside and confronted the boys. They could see his eyes glittering evilly behind the clay mask. With clumsy footsteps, he slowly approached them, and the boys instinctively moved closer together. Flavius was still stretched out on the floor, not moving. Either he was paralyzed by fright or playing dead. Lucas went up to the fallen Flavius, stooped with a groan, and pulled the boy up by his hair. Help! Flavius screamed piercingly. He sprang to his feet like a flash and fled towards his friends. Lucas gave a short laugh. Then he sat down on the hassock, folded his arms, and said menacingly, I knew you were coming. You fell into the trap. This time you won't escape me. If you do anything to us, I'll tell my father, Caius said. You will never have the opportunity to tell your father anything again, Lugos replied. A chilled silence followed. Finally, Musius cleared his throat and said somewhat hoarsely, We don't want any trouble with you. We saw Tellus going in here. Tellus is not here, Lugos said sharply. Isn't he in there? Musius ventured, pointing to the curtain. Tellus has gone home, Luco said. A door in there leads to the side street. But his cloak is lying there, Julia said. For a moment, Luco stared at the cloak lying beside the hassock. Then he croaked. He was in a hurry to get home. Let us go home too, Flavius cried in a shaky voice. Oh no, Luco said. You have no right to keep us here. Julius said defiantly. You have no right to come spying around here, Lucos replied mockingly. People who pry into dangerous places must expect unpleasantness. We are not afraid. We are Romans, Musius said heroically. Bravo, my son, Lucos chuckled. You have no need to be afraid. I'm not going to hurt you. That sounded a great deal pleasanter, and the boys breathed easier. Perhaps Lucas was not as bad as he pretended to be. You mustn't put a spell on us either, Antonia said. I know a lot better wizard than you. He'd take the spell off right away. I do not bother with enchantments, Lucas said tartly. I can only see things that are hidden from other people. That is how I know why you are here. You are looking for the desecrator of the temple. You think he is Tellus. The boys were taken aback. Lucas had not only the second sight, he could even read thoughts. Musius nodded assent. We don't know for sure that it is Tellus, he said, but we suspect him. Perhaps it was the Red Wolf. Do you happen to know who the Red Wolf is? Luco sat as though stunned for a moment. Then he suddenly jumped to his feet, waved his arms wildly, and screeched in fury. There is no Red Wolf. Tellus is innocent. I am the desecrator of the temple. I alone.
Chapter 20, Surprises. The boy stared incredulously at Lucos. So you don't believe me? Lucos asked with a dangerous edge to his voice. But the chain belongs to Tellus, Musius began to stammer. No, Lucos screamed. The chain and cloak belong to me. Tellus frequently visits me. I lent him the cloak. Tellus sent the courier to the newspaper, Julius murmured. He did it on my suggestion, Luco said. Tellus has nothing to do with the crime. You've been on the wrong track. He went to the table and hastily rummaged under the heaps of papers. Do you recognize that? He asked, showing them a writing tablet. This is Rufus's tablet. I'll tell you just how I copied his handwriting. I slit through the letters, pressed the tablet against the wall of the temple, and painted over it with red paint. There, can you see it? He held it in front of the lantern. Showing up in thin, illuminated letters on the writing tablet were the words, Caius is a dumbbell. The method by which the forging had been done was just what the boys had guessed. I also assaulted your teacher and stole the writing tablet from him, Lucas went on, shouting hoarsely. Here are his books and pictures. He tossed several rolls of parchment down at their feet. Do you believe me now? The boys believed him. Lucas was also a head taller than Xantippus. Why have you done all this? Musius cried out. Why are you so bent on hurting Rufus? He has discovered my greatest secret, Lugo said sternly. He must die. Filled with horror, the boys looked desperately around for a way to escape, but again Lugo seemed to guess their thoughts. Don't think you can run off to the prefect and repeat all this, he said mockingly. Oh no, my dears. Tomorrow morning my ship leaves from Ostia. I shall sail back to my native land where I will be perfectly safe. He laughed scornfully. And you will stay right here in this vault. You will never manage to open the doors. I alone know the secret mechanism. He took the sword from the table and with one powerful blow cut through the cords running across the floor. There. Now you can't get out at all. You can make all the racket you please. These walls are thick. No one lives back there and nobody ever passes. If you're lucky, you'll be found. If not, well, that's your hard luck. Again, he laughed maliciously. Inwardly, Musius was rejoicing. Lucas had not thought of the ladder leading to the roof. From there, they could call for help. But he rejoiced too soon. Lucas considered for a moment. No, you had better be locked up in the cellar, he said. He stopped and lifted a heavy wooden trapdoor in the floor. Beneath yawned a black opening and the boys saw slippery stone steps leading down into the dark depths. Come on, get down there, Lucos howled, or I'll kill you all. Surprisingly, Musius was the first to obey. He walked slowly toward the cellar steps. To reach them, he had to pass close to Lucos. Suddenly, he twisted around, gripped Lucos's arm with one hand, and with the other tried to wrench the sword away from him. Lucos was taken by surprise for a moment. Then he defended himself wildly. But Musius held on, knowing his life was now at stake. Help! he roared. The others awoke from their numbed days and fell upon Lucos all at once. Like a pack of wild cats, they gripped his arms and legs and tried to drag him to the ground. Lucos swayed back and forth. He succeeded in freeing one arm and struck Caius in the face with a clenched fist. Caius went down but was instantly on his feet and fighting mad. He seized the heavy stool in both hands and brought it down with all his might on the back of Lucos's head. 
Lukos fell forward on his face and lay motionless with arms outstretched. The boys were pale and breathing heavily. Bravo, Caius, Musius said, gasping for air. Caius was still standing with the chair in his hand. His nose was bleeding and his eyes were ablaze for fu with fury. Shall I give him another, he breathed. I think he's dead, Musius said. That was more than Caius had bargained for. Dead, he stammered. Dead, Flavius repeated, shuddering. Come on, we've got to get out, Musius urged them. Get out, the others asked. How can we? The latter, Musius explained, will climb up on the top of the roof and call for help. He snatched up the lantern and ran into the long corridor which led to the front entrance. The others trotted after him. The latter stood in a niche beside the front door. By the dim glow of the lantern, the boys could see ten or twelve rungs. The rest of the ladder was lost in the dim shadows above. That's pretty steep, Flavius murmured. Don't worry, I've been up on top already, Musius encouraged him and began climbing. The others followed close at his heels, but when they had reached about the middle, the foot of the ladder suddenly slipped backward and the top slid down the wall at rapidly increasing speed. Desperately, the boys clung to the rails. Luckily, the bottom struck the opposite wall of the corridor and the ladder came to a stop. The boys climbed back as far as they could and then jumped down to the floor. Boy, that might have turned out badly, Publius said with relief. They tried to set the ladder up again, but it was jammed so tightly between the two walls that they could not budge it. After struggling desperately with it for a long time, they gave up. They shook the door, drummed their fists against it, but here, too, their efforts were in vain. This is useless, Musius decided. Remember, there's still another door beyond this one. No one can hear us. They hurried back to the vaulted room and hammered against the rear door with every object they could. They could not get at the shutters because of the iron bars over the windows. Caius and Publius tugged wildly at the ends of the cords, which Lucos had severed, but the door did not budge. Wait, Antonius said suddenly. Remember, Lucos spoke of another door in there, where Tellus went out. He pointed to the curtain in front of the niche. They dashed into the chamber and stopped in amazement. Four bare stone walls confronted them. There was neither door nor window. The candle on the table had burned down to almost nothing and was sputtering its last gasps. How could Tellus have gone out? Musius said slowly. Maybe there's a secret door, Julius said and began tapping at the walls. But as he approached a dark corner, he started back in fright. A fat toad was squatting on the floor, staring fixedly at him. That's Tellus, Antonius cried. Lucos has changed him into a toad. The others backed away slowly, throwing suspicious glances at the toad. Lucos said himself that he can't cast spells, Flavius whispered. He only said that so we wouldn't know Tellus is a toad, Antonius said. After all, it's a terrible crime to change anyone into a toad. They returned to the vaulted room and slumped down, discouraged on the floor, all in a row. They were tired and frightened, and their bare feet felt like lumps of ice. Luco still lay motionless beside the cellar trapdoor, which had fallen shut during their scuffle. The mysterious disappearance of Tellus made their skin crawl. None of them quite believed Tellus had been changed into a toad, but still, he seemed to have vanished into thin air. The lantern Musius had placed on the table was growing steadily dimmer. Soon we'll be sitting in the dark, Musius said, sighing. 
He drew up his knees and wrapped his cold feet in his toga. Flavius, sitting at the end of their row, leaned forward and asked nervously, How long will we have to wait until someone finds us? Until we starve to death, Caius growled. It takes a while to starve, Julius said. So much the worse, said Publius with a short laugh. People can live for years on bread and water, Antonius said. My father says that the prisoners of war are given only bread and water, and they have to work besides. If only we had bread and water, Caius said. I could eat ten loaves of bread right now. They say thirst is worse than hunger, Flavius whimpered. Stop that, Musius snapped at him. Rufus has had nothing to eat or drink for three days, and he is still alive. But he won't be for long, Publius said. Julius regarded Lucos thoughtfully. I should like to know what was that secret of his which Rufus discovered. Do you think it had something to do with the red wolf and the sheep's clothing? Rufus must have been delirious when he said that, Publius suggested. That's right, Antonius agreed. People say all kinds of things when they're starving to death. We once had a slave, an old man from Greece, who broke a bowl and was put in chains. He was given nothing to eat. I visited him and tried to cheer him up. He was so pleased that he told me a funny story. The earth isn't round, he said, but round as a ball, and it turns around the sun. I brought him food on the slide because I felt sorry for him. He has a strange ring on his finger, said Julius, who was still staring at Lucos. Antonius crawled closer to Lucos and then cried out in astonishment. That's Telus's seal ring. I saw the ring this afternoon on Telus's finger. That's odd, Julius murmured. He must have stolen it from Tellus before he changed him into a toad, Antonius said. What does a toad need a ring for, he must have thought. And look here, Antonius exclaimed again. See what Lucos has on his feet. The boy stooped forward curiously. The black cloak with silver stars had slipped up, and they could see that Lucos was wearing peculiar shoes with extremely high wooden soles. Those are cawthorns, Julius said. Actors wear them on stage to make themselves look taller. So that's why he walked in that funny way, Musius muttered to himself. But why is he wearing them? Flavius asked. Aha! Musius exclaimed in sudden excitement, leaping to his feet. They alarmed, the others jumped up also. What is it? they cried. What dumbbells we are, Musius groaned. What complete dumbbells! Now I know who the red wolf is. Who? the others demanded in feverish excitement. Lucos. Musius brought out the word like a curse. Lucos is the Greek word for a wolf. Don't you remember the last list of Greek words we learned? Of course, Antonius seconded him. Ho, Lucos, the wolf, the others repeated in a chorus. But Lucos isn't red, Caius pondered. Not Lucos, Musius said, but remember the sign outside the door. The word Lucos is painted in bright red letters. All we had to do was to look across the street, and we would have realized at once what Rufus meant. Naturally, he couldn't have known we would be so stupid. Even Xantippus was stupid. Ho, Lucos, the wolf, the others repeated, staring wide-eyed at the lifeless Lucos. But what about the sheep's clothing? Publius asked. There, Musius said, pointing to Lucos's tangled, dirty yellow hair. That 
looks like sheep's wool. He stooped forward and gripped Lukos by the hair. What are you doing? The others exclaimed. We are supposed to tear the sheep's clothing off him. You'll see in a minute, Musius said with grim resolution. But you can't pull a dead man by the hair, Flavius protested in horror. I don't care, Musius growled, and he pulled with all his strength. Suddenly something gave, and he was holding a wig in his hand. Underneath it appeared a bald pate with a large scar across it. Tell us, the other boys shouted, incredulous. I suspected it, Musius murmured, but he was really as surprised as the others. All right, detectives, who predicted it? Who was able to guess ahead of time that ex-counsel Tellus is actually Lukos and that ex-counsel Tellus is the one who pinned everything on poor Rufus?